0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. Today I'm with one of my favorite, favorite, favorite beautiful women, Sarah Durham Wilson and her dog. Sarah is a women's rites of passage leader and writer. Her offerings are rooted in archetypical mother work and resurrecting the rite of passage from maiden to mother. She has taught courses and led retreats for thousands of women over the past decade, and she works with private clients. She previously worked as an arts and music writer in New York City, writing for Rolling Stone, VH1, GQ, Vanity Fair, and Interview Magazine. In 2010, she began writing under the pen name Do It Girl, which provided inspiration for women interested in the path of the witch and the priestess. She lives in Martha's Vineyard with her daughter Avalon and two familiars, Odin and Ridley, whom you just heard. Maiden to Mother, her first book with Sounds True Publishing is out on June 7th, 2022. Congratulations, Sarah, and welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so it's
1: so nice to be with you Monica and you you uh, also are a recent graduate of the the teacher training. <laughs>
0: yes, I am and wow what an 8 months that was. So for my listeners, yes, I just took the 8 month teacher training with Sarah and just an incredible group of women who oh, yeah. are, you know, committed to doing this work. And really, it's about helping women come from what we call wounded maiden into the archetype of the mother. So we're, of course, going to be talking a little bit more about that today and why that's so important right now. So yeah, Sarah, where do you want to start? Because you've really just completed that incredible journey with all of these women. First of all, how does that feel?
1: It doesn't, it's never complete is the problem with this work. Like we did, we only had an eight-month journey scheduled and I was shying away from the word container because there's some problems people are having with that it's like we're in such treacherous brand new territory and spiritual feminine landscape so I'm half there with you and half the other place back to maiden to mother teacher training it just you know we barely got into the mother work because the work is the underworld. Yeah. And so we spent three quarters of the training, not to scare anybody away for next year or this year's training, but you rarely find an opportunity to spend time in the dark with a bunch of other women, disassembling your patriarchy, disassembling your wo- healing, your wounded maiden, putting her back to sleep, and course correcting in your life because. Yesterday, I was like, why is the mother making me go so slow? I'm on, you know, I, there's so much I want to say. There's so much I want to do. And she's like, because like, if you, I always come back to the analogy of a ship or a car going really fast. The only way to take a huge turn to change course is to go, is to slow down because you, you literally can't. I mean, you and I have both failed physics, I'm assuming, but we both know that if you're going 90 miles an hour or, you know wrote a beautiful essay to the teacher to help your grade or something, <laughs> but you know, figured survived somehow in physics, but you know, if you're going 90 miles an hour one way. You, if you turn, you'll, you'll die. You you have to slow down. And so I am being course corrected towards, I'm not going to use pleasure in the way it's like, um that it's like such a buzzword right now, because we keep like ripping the sacred from these words with mm-hmm. their oversaturation. But uh, more towards uh, the work of Audre Lorde, Angela Davis, Bell Hooks, Adrienne Marie Brown of like, okay, if I'm in this forever, which means I'm fighting this war until I die, how am I going to sustain that in a way where I don't burn out and die? Right. I say, wouldn't they just just love it if we just combust it? It's like burn up in rage. Right. And so as a white woman new to the intersectional Feminist fight, you know. I started off without the wisdom of the women who have been fighting so much longer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rest, pleasure, regeneration, you know, and radical self love. Yes. And so, as I find myself more and more in queer spaces, which does not about is not about my sexuality. About that, I've never belonged, Mm -hmm. and I'm an other. Now that there's this radical acceptance happening, I'm in a, a brand new space as a woman, and I owe that to my last maiden's mother, teacher training. So the, the, the idea is you know, you're always going to come out new. Right. Where it brought me last year was more of like where, where we last talked of like using my work for all kinds of rites of passage, like grief and, yeah. Um, and, yes. and I did. So I took the bones of that work. the for the heartbreak passage Mm -hmm. and then i and the men passage like to move through wounded maiden in love to healthy relationships romantically and also nobody talks enough about friend breakups and how to do them in maturity and we have both we have so many ghosts of friendships that never got resolved just ghosted left whatever in us that there hasn't been a, a mature healthy dialogue for moving through female breakups everything is so focused patriarchally on romantic love, still this idea that, you know, romantic love will save you. And so women are so focused on that, they don't actually use that relationship work to navigate friendships, which, as I know, when women come to me, yes, they've been hurt by romantic partners, but female friendships have really wounded them.
0: So, Sarah, for my listeners too. Oh, sorry. I no, no, no. Forever. <laughs> it's okay. No, what I love about what you're saying, and this is where I want to kind of correlate it, so that my listeners kind of can reframe this what you're talking about. So, I'm talk. I talk about it in the realm of like the unbecoming process, and when we start to right. do the work of deprogramming or or deconditioning, what we find and what you're talking about is what I call and what you call the descent, where we go within and we start to remember who we are. But while we're doing that, we are dismembering or really taking apart and looking at all of the ways that we were trained to be or to be together as women, how we were trained to be together in friendship, how we were trained to look at relationships, how we were it's like it's this dismantling of this horrible what they fed us in a fairy tale, which is actually a total friggin nightmare. And what we're <laughs> what we're experiencing as we kind of go into this underworld, and what Sarah was talking about before is rarely do we get an opportunity to truly do that in sisterhood, where we witness each other. Yeah where we don't fix each other, where we create and hold space for each other to kind of come undone. And this is what I call saying yes to the mess as well. This is what Sarah's pointing to. And this is the work of going in and helping to heal the wounded maiden in order to bring her into the archetype of the mother. And this is why I love this work so much is because, well... Now, you know, like, this is why I love this so much is because this is what I talking about all the time, even before I discovered Sarah. And when I did, and I discovered her work, I was like, Oh, my gosh, I have to do this. I have to do this. Because this is And you were right.
1: I'm so grateful that you followed that call.
0: Yeah, well, I, I know my body tells me, you know, all the time, like, yes, go this way. And so, yes, the work is never, it never ends. But here's what I've discovered is that what you're talking about is how to take care of ourselves in such a way that our work is sustainable, that we can give back to the world and come back to the world and offer and be in service to the world, not in the way that we were taught to, you know... To do this, but in a way where we, yeah, exactly, (laughs) where we're really coming to the world with a true understanding of the work that needs to be done in order to turn this ship around.
1: So, the reason I just started off on all that is because you've always, since I met you, been a proponent of what I used to call or what was called like the weirdness about me, the strangeness about me, you know, and then the diagnoses earlier this year, I finally had an answer for the question I get at least twice a week. (laughs) What is your deal? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so that's been a relief. And also, I just know I'm in a safe space to be my rainbow self. Yes,
0: yes, all of it. Bring it. Yeah, I've really been through. Um, so my
1: therapist sat with Marion Woodman for twenty years. Marion Woodman is a huge reason why Monica and I are talking because of her her devotion to archetypes. That she gave me the clues. She told me in in a few. I can't remember which books. They were all scattered around me at the time. But she gave me the clue of there's an immature feminine and there's a mature feminine. And then I was like, well, I know I'm not mature th- at 33. And so I'm this, but how the fuck do I get here? And that's where it all began. Yeah. Oh, but so still, my my therapist, as I as I unmask, right, My from normalcy or typicalness or whatever I did to survive and fit in in my mother's house, I, I and and still calls these things my super traits. You know, the stuff that I used to be so afraid of. Just like when you're like, my body tells me, I always know. Like it's just a super trait, as opposed to you're so spooky. Don't say that. You always say the wrong thing. Don't even. You know? <laughs> and so when Marion Woodman got uh, uterine cancer, what saved her was now, you know, this was in the eighties. So she didn't talk about gips the word gypsy being a, a slur, you could call it the bohemian archetype. Mm-hmm. And so that has come to me. And the more I look into like bohemian, Instead of like the way like TJ Maxx Home Goods or whatever went crazy on like Boho Chic, it's like a very different thing. It's like a outlaw, artist outlaw kind of archetype mm-hmm. where you really don't live inside the culture you've really. And so that's where, and so we pulled this forest card before the podcast, and this bohemian archa- uh, archetype is really with me of you kind of, probably think of like a nice man or someone, mm-hmm. just like, fuck your nine to five. Yeah, fuck your like normal way of dressing. Fuck your way of telling me how to live my life. You know, and so it's really been this beautiful discovery because that archetype led, um, and it's something that comes to women at midlife, and it's what have you heard of Legan look? Mm-mm. Okay, so leg and look is a kind of style that when you look it up, you'll say, oh, like. When you see like some badass crone in a photo shoot, she's in Legan look. So it's all like layers of like beautiful patterns and prints and silks. And you're just like bohemian archetype.
0: Okay. I love that.
1: So it's this like, I'm out patriarchy. And so then there's this like, okay, I'm out. Like for me, there's like, I'm out. But like, then what? You know? So I was like, I'm out. And now what? Like there's this dark moon phase of like, I just know that I'm out. But then there's this colorful, like Bohemian way of living that you see women who have been shoved out of the, the culture, right? The way we become, but the opposite of invisible is rainbow spectrum, right? Like so and they they're like, I see me, I don't care, you know, and they're past if no one's looking, I might as well do it up, you right. know? Like- and so they go.
0: Yeah. Like the full, right. Just, just unapologetic, the full range. Yes.
1: It's delicious. And so now that I'm in that, it's like, okay, I had to get out of the the black and white of patriarchy, the binary of patriarchy, even my gender script is completely ripped up. You know, none of it, I never fit into any of it. Um, I have, you know, many men tell me, wait, you're more of a man than me. And I'm like, well, I think you peasant, you know, and then, Like I, you know, they're like, you don't need me, and I'm like, no, I don't. I'm yeah. looking for pleasure and companionship, but I certainly don't need it. You know?
0: Yeah, I don't need you to complete me. I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to save me. Like the, we're not doing that here. Yeah.
1: No, dance with me, cook yeah. with me, play like,
0: with me, right? <laughs> yeah, but like in
1: for a fucking walk.
0: Yes. yes. <laughs> Support me honor me. You can do all of that. Yes. Yeah. Partner with me, but, but, don't and I don't mean me. support financially. I mean, just oh, no. partner support, right? Like that true yeah. energetic support. Absolutely.
1: So now it's like, I went from like, okay, what is after patriarchy? Because it's sort of how the, you know, the overlords uh, and the upper culture tell Anana, like, don't, if you leave the upper culture, you'll never come back. Like no one's ever done it. Like this is all there is. And so leaving it and being like, well, maybe, maybe I'm going to be all alone, and then finding that this archetype actually leads back to the archetype that came to Marion in her bo- in her cancer and said, "Follow everything I do," mm-hmm. and it was the Bohemian archetype that led her to fl- to flamenco and salsa dancing, that led to her healing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm with that right now. So if, if you can tell from kind of what we first started talking about, my biggest Besides um, the dismantling of white feminism, I'm so into the midlife crisis work, the midlife, and it just thrills me. It, it it really does. And it's the next step. And you can, again, use the bones of the maiden to mother work to do the the midlife rite of passage. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, and right, because I think that the bridge into the other is the mother, <laughs> right? So it's, It's like the archetype of the mother becomes that sustainable place from which we can do the rest of our life. Yeah, but life doesn't
1: work in Wounded maidens.
0: Exactly. So for our listeners, just even though... I know what you're going to say. I know what what you're going to do. What am I going to (laughs) say? You're like, please don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. So for our listeners... Been, like remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's? Yes, the like last
1: ten podcasts oh before I took a break. It was like when you prop up the dead guy. You oh know? God, I know, and, I know. Just, uh, and they're like telling them what maiden mother is. Like somebody had to talk for me, but they're like moving my mouth.
0: <laughs> I know because well, and that's that's what I love about you is because you're like, please don't make me perform. I just want to be real. And we uh, and that's the Sarah I love and. So so be with me and tell like tell me from your fiercest most alive place today like what the hell is maiden to mother
1: Oh lord have mercy oh. Okay. <laughs> <So, laughs> Maiden to mother is the idea that in my ancestry which is mostly Celtic and Nordic is that we would we lived in our seasonal realities along with earth you know aligned with the earth religions of the great mother. So that means we knew when we were in our spring we knew we were in the beginning of our lives and it gave us orientation in our life like I am now in the becoming phase, like the waxing moon, like the spring, like the morning. So this is the time where I seek out my life, where I become, I'm in my becoming of the woman I will be. Okay, now I am in my summer. I am in the mother. I am in that, the great bloom, the glory. I am deeply rooted. I am open and offering my work to the world. I'm in my full moon. I am in my full bloom. I am in, you know, high summer, glorious time in life. Okay. And then if I, you know, when I do the edits of the book, now I am in Empress, the fall because they skip that and I don't get that. So I'm in the in-between season. I'm in the waning, but I am not yet in my winter. I am in that season of like, my legacy is like shining bright, like the leaves in autumn, like brilliant reds, golds, and it's... I have become, you know, it's past my summer where I've become the woman. I am now like basking in the legacy of this woman I have become. And then crone is really when I turn in winter, slowly returning to the earth. And I'm in my leaving season. Mm -hmm. I am in my season where one foot is in the door and the other world. And when I speak, I speak from the truth of that place, as if I'm giving out deathbed wisdom, and so the idea of coming into mother is like, okay, now I'm on the front lines of my life. Now I'm in my maturity. Now my I'm my own mother. Now I am a guide, a leader, and it, we never get and and so when you take away the goddess, you take away seasonal realities, and the patriarchy, you know, destroys the village, colonizes the village, begins the capitalistic system where we no longer are in community and village or working with the land we're extracting from it and we are competing with each other instead of in one you know a, a family of a village a community of a village you, when you take away rights of passage what you do is you take away evolution self-actualization maturity and um not hyper individuality but individuality of like that each one of us in nature although we are all We all rely on each other. We each also, just like in nature, have a purpose and are individually unique. And we bring that to the quilt of our communal ecosystem. So what happens is you get women who stay in what I call the plastic spring, where they never grow up. They are patriarchalized to the the point where they think their only worth is their looks. Um, They believe the false script that they are fragile and need saving. They compete amongst each other they become vain because of the system telling them that their only worth is their looks. They're very reactive and they cannot take care of themselves, let alone a burning world. And so the idea of coming into maturity, into your rites of passage is women who can take a stand not only for themselves, for each other and the planet.
0: Yes. Thank you. Okay. And I loved... When you were talking about mother, I don't know if you know this, but you were t- you were pointing to your throat. You were, you were going like this. Did you know that? Uh-uh. Okay. I just was curious about that because there was something there for me that I was making up about like the mother is also when you're using your voice, like your true mm. voice in the world. Mm. And that for me, the power behind that too is that when we mean what we say and we say what we mean. That we actually are fully in our authorship, our creative power, and words create worlds. And in Mm -hmm. order to dismantle this one, in order to uncreate this one, we have to find our true voice Mm -hmm. Um, and we have to speak our truth, (laughs) right? That's right. That's right, Ridley. You you go. You
1: go, girl. Just not right now.
0: You go, girl. Just not right now. (laughs)
1: Um, so that's where I think I think I gave you a pretty good maiden to Mother spiel.
0: You did. You gave me the okay. So yeah, so Sarah, thank you so much for spieling for me for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just call the podcast the Maiden to Mother spiel. okay. so, so wanna watch Sarah get activated or hear Sarah get activated? Okay, so what's the difference between wounded maiden with what's happening right now in the world with abortion laws and mother? What's the difference? Give me... I don't even understand that question. What's the difference? Well, okay. So let me put it this way. We've got this... I'm seeing... What I'm seeing in the world right now is a whole lot of wounded maiden that are also mistresses of the patriarchy. So talk to me about that.
1: Are they, you mean, oh, the ones that are supporting what's happening? Yes. Oh, I mean, I haven't really been, I've been more listening to, to Black intersectional feminists right now being like, where are the white women? when our children are getting shot in the street, where are the white women when the stats come up about how many women, how many black women die in birth, you know? Mm -hmm. So out I can't even, because the whole thing about me is when you lose patriarchal consciousness and you come into mother earth consciousness, it doesn't make any fucking sense what's happening. So I have lost any I literally don't under-fucking-stand what's happening right now as far as, like, white supremacy and colonization still being something that we're dealing with, that we're even having this conversation, doesn't track for me. Like, what I'm tracking is, oh, white women will show up when it comes to their bodies, but when it comes to Black women's bodies and women of color's bodies and children... They're quiet.
0: They're quiet.
1: So that's where I am with this. Yeah. Yeah. And so do, do I think wounded maidens are Karen's? Is
0: that what you're asking me? No. What I'm trying because they are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the difference between a wounded maiden and a Karen? Nothing.
0: Nothing. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a that's an actually that's an excellent perspective.
1: Well, I really want to have Mackenzie Mack on um, one of my favorites teachers of oppression, anti-oppression teachers, social justice teachers. And they, they've always, I mean, two years ago, I said, I have to have you on so we can talk about white fragility and wounded maidens. And and they were like, whenever you want me, although now, now it's hard to get them for a speaking engagement because they're so needed in the world right now. But wounded maidens and white fragility for me, Karenism, it's all, it's all the patriarchal will save us. The fathers are good. So they haven't had their Anana moment when she's down there on the meat hook and she's like, I'm sure they're coming to save me. Right. And they're like, no, you broke the rules. You went to the dark.
0: Yeah. We don't go there.
1: Right. Well, you went went dark, you know, you rebelled, you dissented. Yeah. We don't protect dissenters. We don't protect people that don't submit to us.
0: Yeah. Get out of my face. Get out of my face. And... Part of what I love kind of unpacking, I mean, I don't love it while I'm unpacking it, but what I see is available for so many women as they do this work is looking at how we got here and the generational wounds that continue to come, right? Because there's most of us that are wounded maidens have had wounded maidens as mothers. Sure, And something that you... That's part
1: important point to stop on because we didn't bring that up before. Just for listeners, like you know, just because you are a biologically a mother, a small, small M does not make you an archetypal mother, big M. Right. And many of our mothers were maidens, wounded maidens, doing the bidding of the patriarchy. And when they and when a mother has the tone of the patriarchy and the the rules of the patriarchy she's becomes what we call the death mother the patriarchalized feminine upholding the the values and the systems of patriarchy
0: that's right upholding the values and the systems and that can be i mean when you talked sarah about you know 8 months not being enough right like that alone like that subject alone <laughs> is such a big one to unpack you the know the mother thing the mother thing yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, the word mother is probably the most triggering word that we have. <laughs> like, it's,
0: like, it's so loaded.
1: So loaded. And that's why I say it's one thing to have had a mother. It's another thing to have been mothered. As a verb, most of our mothers didn't know what that was. No. And I also say when women come to me, you know, some of them are so afraid they're going to be betraying their mothers and say, so you're not betraying her. You're betraying the patriarchy in her, right? Yes. That actually stole her life. That stole her soul in my opinion, that stole her, stole her self-actualization and true expression.
0: And your mother passed how many years ago? Well,
1: I was 17 and I just turned 17 and I'm 43 now. So the math on that is probably about 26 years.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that you say that really got me, Sarah, was when you talked about avenging our mothers. That triggers a lot of people, but I'm glad. You. I know it didn't trigger me because I got it. <laughs> Like I got it, but, but I would love to talk about that a little bit, just add to it because so I'm not asking you to do a spiel. I'm just asking you to talk about it from your heart.
1: Push the spiel button. Uh, You know, I got it in me if you need it, but talk about avenging my mother. So recognizing that my mother First of all, that the the problems between me and my mother were not my fault, and they weren't actually her fault either. Um, they they were the the system that, you know, othered anyone different, anyone not following the script. And so I didn't follow the script, and my mother was taught to hate others, you know, mm-hmm. fear fear others mm-hmm. right as a coddled white wounded maiden, you know, privileged wounded maiden. And because I didn't fit the script, I was punished. And these this was the programming. It wasn't her. And so the other thing is my mother got really sick and, tur- and just endlessly turned out for advice from all these doctors who actually gave her really bad advice that shortened her life. Mm-hmm. As far as like blasting her with radiation and chemo before it was too much for her little body. She was smaller than me. And so when my mother passed, I went into her attic years later and she had like box of tarot cards, runes, bell books, and they were hidden. And um, some were unopened and all these things. And It's like, she hid her witch too. And she hid to protect me. She was doing the best she could. She was like, you're you you will not be safe the way you are out there. So she had a hidden witch and mine obviously is out. Mm-hmm. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> obviously. It's, yeah. It's pretty obvious. Right? I, I, I think so, Sarah. I think that's kinda hard <laughs> hard to hide at this point. But
1: as soon as you tattoo your forehead, I think it's over. Me too. <laughs> You'd be amazed how nobody even notices or
0: says anything about it though. It's like well, there's the trance. Um, uh, <laughs> That's the trance, you know? It's just like, I'm just going to pretend I don't see a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to pretend nothing is happening here. Nothing. And so I always, you know, I realized the problem wasn't between me and my mother. It was the patriarchy and my mother mm-hmm. that kept us million miles apart while she was right there. And so I have a vengeance for what if she had been allowed... To be in her witch her whole life because I now know. I mean, she gave me my first bag of runes, and it was more like, I don't use this, you can use it, or something. And I started as seven or something. And I think runes were for me, I, I believe that every witch has her own, you know, you pulled your tarot, I, every witch has her own, um, oracle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I lost my witch to the patriarchy, and my after my magic years, and um, you know, you get gaslit and beaten down into normalcy. Not to project. I got gaslit and beat down into normalcy. Many of the women, I got, uh, you know, I remember I came in remembering past lives and all the stuff that was just like cut off, you know, cut off at the head. And but the runes, I kept a bag of runes with me, and and I, in, from my mother, you know, and that brought me kept those, and they kept the witch with me. And then I always think about how powerful my mother could have been because she was incredibly intuitive. She was an ingenious writer, which means like for someone who loves to write, like spells are so fun for me to write. And, you know, I just think she was just so patriarchally put into this little box of this fragile, helpless woman. And I don't know if you know this about me, but like when women come to me and they are act fragile and helpless. I want to scream because mm-hmm. they're not. It's a total fucking lie. And they just need to know what they're capable of. And they need to know the truth about how powerful they are. And so this is my work is vengeance for my mother. Um, and I think that getting women to the point where they're not mad at, but for their mother makes them have to understand systems. And that's where we are. It's like, when I wrote this book, I didn't understand systems yet. And that's okay. Like, you, you know, the book's never done. It's just do, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: And so, but now the systems that oppressed my mother, you know, uh, what is patriarchy? You know, it, it also is a commodified word, but Bell Hooks goes, identify the heads of it and then where they live in you. Like your inner ageism, your inner ableism, your inner colonizer, your inner, inner capitalist you know, and these, they're inner misogynists, your inner, all this shit. Uh, my mom had all of those in her. Yeah. Yeah. The inner capitalist, she had the inner white supremacist, she had it all. And which, you know, when you really become a radical feminist, it's about liberation.
0: Yeah. Sarah, I, you just said something that's so powerful. All of what you said is powerful, but the part that I love the most is kind of like.
1: Oh uh, yeah, you froze. You said, I said something so powerful and then you, you froze.
0: Oh yeah. So you, you said, what you said was this point where the systems start to become revealed, right? And you see that they're all intersecting. And this was this was huge for me. And I want to pause here for a minute for our listeners and talk about one of them that's very, very familiar to me, which was my inner misogyny. Because yes. we all, like being socialized in this world, we have all we have internalized this system and these systems. Yes. And there's no escape. Literally. Like if you think that you don't have racism or inner misogyny, like you're fooling yourself. Inner capitalism. Inner capitalism yeah. You are so fooling yourself. And so what how I would recognize, and this is what I, I really like to do, is to kind of point to the symptoms. Nice. Because for me One of the things that would come up that would show me my inner misogyny is when people would say the word sisterhood or goddess, I would literally like recoil and I would get this Uh, look on uh my face. Do you see this look? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, ew. You know, like what? I don't know what you're doing right now, but like my body would literally like all the armor would come up. Like I would just I would just really react versus, and when I, and I finally found my wise woman, right? Because I had been praying for a wise woman. It was my wise woman that said, I think she used the word goddess and sisterhood within like a couple sentences of each other. And so she just kind of stopped and she was like, whoa, I just want to check in, Monica. Like, what is happening right now with your body? Like, why are you reacting to these words in this way? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I just... And there was this, suddenly there was kind of this inquiry that I was invited to just sit with and to really get curious about. And I start, because the other thing is, we, the signals are there. Like what would be a couple of symptoms that you might point to that would make you realize that you had inner misogyny? I mean, jealousy is one of them.
1: Well, I kept, I mean, for me, because I'm, this book I am working on now about men, midlife and men, and it was realizing I kept attracting misogynists—men mm-hmm. that hated women—and that if I was attracting them, I had an inner misogynist. Ooh. And so that's where I found—I found my inner ages and my inner misogynists through ages misogynist patriarchal men. You know, I kept attracting men who hated their mothers, who hated women, who thought they were who abused women Mm -hmm. and I kept attracting men who just wanted women to be 20 and tight
0: and serve them. I attracted men who pretended to love their mothers. Uh, But what was really there was like a lot of passive aggressiveness, a lot of control a lot of the facade that's like the shoulds from from the Bible, right? Like you, thou shalt honor thy father and mother. But what was really there was like this deep detest and hatred. Misogyny. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I went celibate a, a year ago as I uh, depatriarchalized man or masculine. And, you know, I'm getting there. I'm attracting, like, just in my field, wonderful men because I have one in me now. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful goddess worshiper, strong, sweet, funny man in me. I, I, I have that in me now because, you know, I talk about, like, most of us were latchkey kids in my generation, whatever generation I am, X, I don't know, and uh, they we, you know, without a father, without a mother in the house, you know, my mother was in my house. She was my model. That's how we got to where I was for femininity. You know, she had her own inner misogyny and my father was absent. So what's going to fill the hole is the culture. You're going to turn on the TV, you're looking at magazines. And here we have the culture telling me the bad boys the Luke perrys the the broken ones you have to fix they're abusive but they didn't mean it and you know all these guys you can heal them you know they just need the love of a good woman you know and i
0: oh my god right
1: i i was like okay that's and that became my inner masculine this like misogynist tough guy that just wanted to fuck women and just wanted hot women and was a bad boy and that's what i've consistently tra- attracted mm-hmm. except for my fiance who was the closest to my inner masculine now um he my, my inner masculine is now way closer to like the one true love i've ever had my 5 year fiance who was a lead singer and an artist and a writer and a poet but but now it it's evolving past that it's more this like bohemian king kind of <laughs> kind of
0: vibe i love that yeah Uh, You actually just triggered for me another memory, which was when I met Austin, who's the love of my life. I remember just really the way that he treated me was so foreign to me. And it also triggered my inner misogyny because I was like, what's wrong with you? Why is he being so like, why is he being so nice? Right. Why is and there was part of me that's like, because again, we're we're trained. I was like, don't be so nice to me. That's not attractive to me. Exactly. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can receive, I can be celebrated. I can be, there's just this way it all like transforms as mm-hmm. you do the work. And yeah. it's, so I go back to what you said before, like, I don't want to scare anybody, right? Like, I don't want to scare anybody to do this work because it, it is work, but, but the parts that I really want to highlight here that are so powerful is that when we start coming into the archetype of mother and we start doing this deconstructing of the patriarchy within ourselves, this internalized patriarchy, what we find are treasures beyond our wildest dreams. Right. And the what comes up is just what feels sometimes, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Sarah, is like this me that is now unrecognizable. It's like I almost can't Mm -hmm. even recognize myself and who I was right before I went through my dark night of the soul and came out the other side. And of course, it's the journey that we did with you was eight months. And one of the things that I want to talk about with you next is you hold marketing very differently you hold business very differently. Mm-hmm. You hold and your offers, your generosity. And, and I call it generosity. But what I also want to get curious here about is, is it generosity or is it that that's actually, it's you market in such a human way. You give yourself permission and I, and I see you modeling it often where you give yourself permission to change the parameters of an offer and just be like and make it ongoing or extend it or like you offer scholarships to women like you make this work so available. And I guess the word I want to say is there's a reciprocity that you infuse into your work.
1: Mm, No, thank you. I mean, all of that. I want to tie up the last conversation with you know where you get to when you eradicate your inner misogyny is I will be treated well or you can go to hell Mm -hmm. it's like I and then it was like I like nice guys and then you're like getting wet for all these nice guys and you're like where have I fucking been and now I see an asshole and I'm like the moat is up the, you can hear like the chains going, you know, the door chain. I don't know how I found that attractive I and know. it's because it's not, you know, so yes, I, I hear all that. so important. Yeah. So I have been in the belly of white feminism for a long time. And I, while I was, you know, attempting anti-racism work, it was feeble at best. And When I had my midlife split, my midlife crisis, I met—I was very, very, very sick and sick from a fellow white feminist who had given me and my daughter COVID and never looked back or checked in or anything. So it was like this person who says that they offer commute—they're a community leader. Like, actually, I truly learned that white feminism will leave you to die. I, Mm. I truly learned that, and it's what. Um, black feminists have been saying over and over is that if you're in the room with the white feminists, you're in the room with all the heads of patriarchy and patriarchy is a killer. And so what happened during my 42nd split, my 42nd year of my, my sickness was, I was overcome by the love from the black Madonna. Mm -hmm. And she sat with me for three weeks and this is a place where I'm going to talk about something and if there's a response where I didn't do it right, I am so here for that. If there's so, um, when I first came into this world, I, while I had a lot of visions of Avalon, I also had a lot of memories of being a slave and, and being brought over on a ship. And I always was talking about that ship ride. I was always talking about it. And of course that all disappeared. And I lost it all. And then I would track like the threads of when was I last happy? And I would be happy in my African-American studies classes. I'd be happy in my African-American, like our civil rights group. And then I just fell into white patriarchy completely and left. But I remember um, feeling this is where I belong. Mm -hmm. And when I did my, my ancestry, Um, My first grandmother was from the Congo. She was Congolese. And I fear her. And she's who I want to make proudest in my lineage. And what the Black Madonna did was show me that I was on the wrong path. And and the wrong path was white feminism. And that I had not seen it yet. And there's nothing like a three-week underworld holding a sick daughter, being a sick mother in a bed to say, you know, show me the way. like I clearly this isn't working. Mm -hmm. The way for me is intersectional feminism. And I got it in a way that I've never grokked it before. And I started reading books like White Feminism by Koa Beck, Nice White Ladies by Jessie Daniels, who is a white lady who came into intersectional feminism and fell in love with Audre Lorde. I've always loved Bell Hooks, but I finally feel like, and Bell Hooks, how she talks about queerness, witches are queer. I don't conform to any way of Patriarchal life. After this, I'll probably go smoke a joint and read a book. I don't live the way other people live. And there's finally radical acceptance for myself because of Black activists who have been talking about the revolution far along. And mostly white women are just about the pay gap between and equality between men and women. Right. That's not my fight. My fight. I don't want to be like a patriarchal man. I want to be on the side of everyone oppressed under patriarchy, all bodies oppressed under patriarchy. And as a climate activist, there's no climate justice without racial justice. Climate justice and racial justice are are married, are wedded, because they're the most disproportionately affected by climate. Look at what's happening in India right now. Look what's happening in Africa.
0: Yes, yes. Sarah, I love. I, I also want to point to what you just said with respect to the pay gap, because there's this way that again the patriarchy teaches us to live on the surface of life. It's very superficial. It's right? And to me the pay gap is like the superficial kind of the white f- feminist would focus on that and and it's so much deeper. It's there's like there is some shit to excavate here.
1: Well, and if they want to look at the pay gap, look at the pay gap between white men and latina women black mm-hmm. women brown mm-hmm. women i mm-hmm. mean white the, the payback to white 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 men and white, white men is so much smaller so again when we're talking about white women lining the streets and pussy hats because of abortion rights it's like where are you when anything else happens to brown and black women and indigenous women where are you
0: right and they're silent which mm-hmm. just means guess whose side they're choosing mm-hmm. oppressor mm-hmm yep but, but you know, here's the other thing that I love. Like, I see you get your ass kicked regularly, and I see that you're here for it. And I love that about you. Like, I love that about you. And you know that I love that about you. Yeah. And there's some things that I still don't get, but I love that. I I mean, part of what I'm inviting my listeners to do is definitely follow Sarah. Like, it's and en- it's entertaining to say the least, but not only... And I'm being you funny. You <laughs> I, I, I'm like, not only will you get the best teachings, but what I love how you model is, you know, like just being open to like the mass of it. You're like, I may not get it right. And I'm like, yes, like, because that gives me permission, right? It's like, I'm learning, I'm learning and I'm deconstructing and I'm, I'm unpacking. And this is the part that I think we're all in this. And, and it's like to be in it we have to say yes to the mess. Well, because
1: it's your whiteness that tells you you have to do anything perfectly. There is no, this is a white concept of perfection, of doing, of success. These are all, it's all whiteness. So like just showing up exactly as you are is the revolution, you know? And being like, if you're going to come on here with with hate, you're out. But if you're going to come here to teach me, take a moment. To, for free labor, I'm going to be grateful because my, it, my white feelings don't matter to me. I want to burn through it and learn. I mean, you weren't in New Mexico, but I got roasted. I got a barbecue. I missed it. Damn. <laughs> you missed the barbecue. My, the the sense of my white patriarchy was wafting in the air. It was being smoked out of me by the Black Madonna. It was amazing.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: I was like, I want to go again. Just give me a month to recover.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so what, what was the flavor of it? Just, you don't have to go into it, but what was the.
1: Well, so every time you do a journey, you come out new and we just we're on made into mother journey right now. And we just entered the underworld. And I'm like,
0: I mean, I go, I, you're I, like, here we go again. Plug your nose. Yeah, because I'm the shaman
1: that like, I'm drinking a little less ayahuasca than you, but I'm still drinking it with you. And so here we go to the underworld again, you know, and I go with you. I have to guide you through it. Right. I got to go there.
0: Right. (laughs)
1: But last time it was so bursting with intersectional feminism that I can be a bull in a china shop, and I can be too urgent. And where there's urgency, there's trauma, and that's not a place I want to come from. But and you know, where there's urgency, there's there's more mess and there's more um, harm. And so, about I'd say the room was about thirty percent women of color. 70% And 70% white women. And I made a hard, messy choice to have the conversations with everyone for two days straight about intersectional feminism. But what I learned from it, and then I caused harm to the women of color in the room. And they graciously taught me, first of all, uh, thankfully, from my work, I, 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 can, rep- I can repair but the work was to sit back and listen to the women of color and learn the ways I caused harm. And next time to ask for consent before that conversation, mm-hmm. and then gracefully tell the, the women of color, this is going to be a conversation about dismantling white feminism. You don't need to have it. You don't, you're not a white feminist. So there's tea outside that the sun's shining, go take care of yourself, go get a massage. <laughs>
0: you know fascinating
1: yeah and then the white women need to stay in that that container but the black the women of color do not and so then my work as a leader was okay I've shattered our union for a moment here with all this talk of othering and otherness and all this talk that othered and I need to bring us back to our common goal and what that's going to take is me sitting back the women of color, you know, leading this moment, not free labor, but like telling me how we, I can repair and then bringing us all back to our common goal. But it took, you know, we all, it took everyone's mother, everyone's leader. And it was a true moment of the only way to cross the threshold into justice is if everyone crosses it into mm-hmm. liberation. And that's why Audre Lorde says that if one woman is not free, I I am not. You know, no. If, as long as there is one woman in shackles, I am not free. And we all have different battles.
0: Yeah, and and what you just said about we all had to come back into the mother, right? It was because what you are pointing to as and I am making up because I wasn't there, was that there was a lot of triggers that was that were going off. There was mm-hmm. a lot of wo- wounded maiden that was kind of coming up, right? And it's not that.
1: And a lot of harm towards the women of color that did not need to be in those conversations with white women, just learning about this and asking questions that can also cause harm. So, as a spaceholder, I there was harm caused in my space, and so my job
0: is to repair that
1: harm for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But
1: the black, the black, indigenous, and women of color first. Yeah,
0: centering. Yes, centering them. Yes. Centering them. yes. Yes, my gosh, endless lessons, right, Sarah? Endless, endless lessons. The
1: doom is to think they'll stop.
0: Right. I was trying
1: to say that the other day. That's your doom. Um, that's why Marion named the book "Dancing in the Flames." Right? to you think just- that you're
0: done is the doom. Like you, you, to think that you're going to arrive somewhere is the doom. Right? That's yeah. not going to happen.
1: Yeah. Oh, like it's just like with motherhood. You're like, I'm killing it in motherhood today. That means tomorrow is going <laughs> to.
0: Oh, it's so humbling. It's so humbling. Yes.
1: Here's your ass I'm handing to you. Thank you, sir. May I
0: have another? Or thank you, ma'am. May I have another? Oh, my God. So good. Well, Sarah, I love this conversation. As always, I am so enriched to talk to you, to know you. I'm so blessed to know you. I'm so blessed to be part of this lineage. And for our listeners, you know, I'll be sure to connect you with not only Sarah's work, but many of the Black feminists and Indigenous feminists that she mentioned today. I would love to be able to also just really celebrate her book and invite you all to grab it, get a copy, and it's a great introduction into what this work is all about. And this is the work of the unbecoming. I mean, Sarah's doing a flavor of this work that I think is so relevant and so important. And it's truly changed my life. So Mm -hmm. I'm
1: so honored to know you, Mon. I love you so much.
0: I love you. You're such
1: a good mama
0: and archetypal mother. Thank you. Thank you. I totally receive that.
1: You're like, just so in it with me and us and this, and you know, and I just watch you, you're just desire and like, appetite for for unlearning is just so hot and I really appreciate it Mm. and thank you for always loving all the spectrums of women and all and just loving watching them unrobe this robe from from these false roles it's I just love your love of women and I really appreciate it
0: love you yeah love you okay yay now the all dog right. is throwing up so uh, oh maybe good. i should right on time <laughs> okay all right and so for our listeners until next time more to be revealed i love that ending sarah too good i gotta deal with it all right love you. love you bye we did the, i think mean, we did, we did the thing we did we did it we're great we're great we're I always great we're all, we're, amazing. Oh, we're amazing i love you i love you back Okay. So, oh my gosh, what a great conversation with Sarah. So I rarely kind of come on to kind of have like a a summary, but what the hell I'm going to do it today. I want to go back to a, a few things Sarah said and unpack them a little bit more. First of all, Sarah mentioned ayahuasca and we don't actually just for our listeners, we don't actually take any ayahuasca doing this work, but I'd love you. If you want to do plant medicine, I'm all for that too. I'm here for it all. But I, what I really wanted to kind of also discuss are the symptoms of Wounded Maiden and really kind of help just clarify the fact that the Wounded Maiden is the inner child in us that never had our needs met. She was the one that had to take it all. She had to take what she was being fed as far as gender roles. She had to stuff it. She had to really mute her self-expression. She had to deny her true voice. She had to become pretty, pleasing, and polite in order to survive. And so, as you might imagine, the archetype of the mother does not do that. She actually mothers the inner child or children, the fractured parts of our woundedness that had to basically feel abandoned Who had to abandon those parts in order to be loved. So, so many women are walking around this planet, a shell of who they actually are, a ghost of who they actually are. And the haunted ones are the wounded maidens, the wounded parts of ourselves that are haunting us in order to be remembered, if that makes sense. So, The Wounded Maiden will often seek validation, either through social media. It's a lot of attention-seeking behavior. She's very reactionary. She is always wanting to hand her burdens. She will, you know, the way that she knows how to be with women are to kind of commiserate with women or to go to war with women or to alienate women, other women. So she doesn't have a capacity, a maturity to deal with life in a way that a mature, grounded, fully permissioned woman can. So there's Sometimes the only way we recognize the wounded maiden is by starting to see the symptoms. And the symptoms of wounded maiden are really, I mean, there's tons of them, and I'll, I'll definitely put some links in the show notes so you can learn more about it. But what we want to do is to be able to learn how to give ourselves what we were never given. So, which is, radical self-approval first of all like we have to learn to give ourselves approval for all of the things that we were disapproved of if you know, for some of us, that could be based on what we choose to wear. For some of that, for some of us, it could be what we say, uh, who we really are, that we've been hiding. It's, we were, many of us were conditioned not to make mistakes. And guess what? I mean, when you listen to what Sarah says, she talks about perfectionism being a, a white fragility concept. And so it's learning to embrace our failures and our mistakes as part of the process. It's saying yes to the mess, the messiness of self-growth, the messiness of doing the work, the messiness of diving in and unpacking all of the programming and looking at it honestly, no matter how much, no matter how cringy it is to do it. And the mother is the part of us that Okay so so I'll raise my hand and say when I talk about mamaka <laughs> that's my inner mother that's that's the part of me that's what I named her that's the part of me that actually that I met that actually knows how to take care of myself that knows that it's okay to make mistakes that's the that's the mother or the mamaka that I'm rem- where I'm reminded to put my hands on my heart and to just give myself the space and the grace to be imperfect. Okay? That's what the mother does. The mother is unconditionally loving toward herself and her children, but also unconditionally loving towards other women, uh, unconditionally loving to the process, you know, of of doing this work and who also when you when you come into your own sufficiency and your own sovereignty as the mother what you what starts to grow within you actually is an intolerance for what actually goes on in the world and what we step over and this is where the mother starts to really become potent because her voice like she is not to be trifled with, the mother. She is not going to take anybody harming her loved ones or the earth. And so we we can start to understand why it's so important for women to come into the archetype of mother, because when she comes into the archetype of mother, not only does she know her own sufficiency, but she knows she knows when enough is enough, and she's not afraid to say it. And she's not afraid to do what needs to get done in order to feed the children in order to make sure that people stop harming the earth, make sure that people stop taking her for granted. So there's so much more here. But I loved that episode with Sarah and I adore Sarah and Sarah's work. So you can follow her on Instagram at Sarah of Magdalene. Doing, you know, becoming part of the lineage of Maiden to Mother is powerful, powerful work. Uh, I wish it for everyone. So not to do a huge sales pitch, you know, that's not my gig. But if you were to really ever invest in yourself, there couldn't be a better program to do. That's it for now. Till next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.